We are live now, Michael. I love when you start this with "We are live." Yeah, I always feel like we're coming back to life, like we were dead before. Yeah, because we were offline. So we were know? offline. Yes, that's we were live for sure. Yeah, that's why. That's why. Now we're live. Now we're doing this awesome episode once again. So cannot wait. Hello, everybody. Hello, and welcome back to e-commerce undercover. My name is Michael Waits, and I am joined, as always, in a slightly different studio, though, by Martin Ronford, the founder of Doctor Tech. Can I get it right? That's fine. The ideal platform <laughs> for selling online. Did yeah. I get it right this time? Perfect. That's that's fine now. What do you think of this new room that we're in? I think that's very nice. I think that's very nice. That's awesome. I like changing it up a little bit. We don't, we shouldn't necessarily record in the same room every time. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. We can set up everything pretty easily, right? Yeah. So, so one of the things that I was thinking about is if you're an e-commerce provider and you're doing something innovative, mm-hmm. tell us. Definitely. We'll come to your studio. People in Thailand are starting to get vaccinated now. Everything's kind of cleaning up and clearing up. I would definitely do it. Definitely, but that would be super cool to come to your office and meet you and like meet an episode with you directly from where you are. So this is a perfect point. I was actually in an office last week. I won't say where. No, actually, I will say where. So I was in my friend's office, the guy who runs Seven Peaks Software. Beautiful office at a place called The Park. Okay. With a Q. I think they were, um, they were excited by the Tumblr thing with all the wrong spelling. <laughs> and they, there's a building called The Park. Anyway, beautiful building. And a beautiful setup, and I think every now and then we should just go there and do some recording. Definitely. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do it. And this mobile studio allows us to do that, so why not? Definitely. Okay, let's talk about e-commerce. Let's talk about e-commerce, Michael. So what's the topic you, you want to talk about this? Well, I don't want to go back to the same topic, but I want to do like a derivative of a topic that we've discussed before, right? I mean, we say a lot that e-commerce is not solved yet. Definitely. It's kind of the tagline for this whole show. Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about technology and VR and AR and doing a whole bunch of innovative things. But let's look back a little bit and talk about marketplaces. I mean, basically all of the money that gets earned at scale, mostly at least, right, is earned by these gigantic marketplaces. Definitely. Like when, t- when you watch the biggest e-commerce website in the world, it's whole marketplaces. It's all Only. marketplaces. Yeah. E- even Amazon, yeah. right, which feels like Amazon is the main seller. The reality is there's this whole, f- what is it called, um, facilitated by Amazon. I forget mm-hmm. what it's called. Fulfilled by Amazon. Fulfilled by Amazon, yeah. right? So FBA, I was just thinking about what the initials were. Anyway, that's all s- individual sellers sitting on a marketplace. Exactly. Lazada, yeah. Shopee. All these places, Tokopedia and Indonesia, these are all marketplaces, right? Yeah. Are there other marketplaces that we haven't discussed? But here's the thing. We'll get to that in a second. But I think you can always tell when things are in transition. And I'm 100% convinced that e-commerce right now is going through a massive transition. We don't know where it's going to end. I mean, it's not going to end for sure. But we don't know where it's going to end up, basically. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about something that is happening. I feel like the sort of one and a half tier marketplaces are starting to look around and starting to get nervous. For why? For which reason? I think it feels a little bit to me, and I've said this before, I've posited this previously, and that is, I think they're getting concerned that they're running out of ideas. And a lot of times when these big platforms, whether it's IBM in the past, even Dell went through this, and you'll see the equivalency in a second, what they do is they try to start acquiring what they consider complementary or supplementary businesses mm-hmm. because they figure one plus one or one plus five in some cases can be more than six, right? Or one plus one can be more than two. And if they add two things together, they're going to get more than the sum of their parts, right? I think historically, though, if you look at even big retail, we saw this happen in, we talked about this in episode one or episode two, right? If you look at department stores, mm-hmm. at the beginning, what they did, because these are the original sort of retail marketplaces in the modern world, right? In the old days, you just had a market. We still have them here in Thailand. True. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in the modern world, you'd have a shopping street like Fifth Avenue or Champs-Élysées. We talked about this before, right? Yeah. You can laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you can have all the stores there, right? And all if the you stores want to there. Buy something. You, you buy something. You go there. there. Yeah. But then, if you have just one big store, then you don't have to go outside. So if it's raining, you get weather protection and all other stuff. But also, you can go to the shoe department and match the shoes with the tie that you bought or with the suit that you just bought. The only problem is, when they run out of growth, what do they do? They get nervous, and then they start to acquire things that maybe are a little bit off-brand that they wouldn't have acquired before, and then they way overpay for them. And then what happens? 
Well, then they slowly but surely die. Now, I'm not predicting the death necessarily of these big online marketplaces because some of the fundamentals there are different. But talk to me about some recent news. Yeah. What have you seen? Yeah, actually, I seen that you know, like the big marketplace is Etsy. Aha. Uh-huh. We did not really talk talk about not this really. one. Though. We talked about Amazon and Lazada and Shopee, but Etsy is a little bit di- di- different. So that's why I said time. it's not second tier. Yeah, but it's not first tier. Yeah, so it's one and a half tier. I think. Go it's, ahead. It's still ten the big, but it's it's, it's, big. it's definitely not one one of the biggest like Amazon or eBay or no. you know all of this one, and it's it's also doing something a bit different. Right, so talk Go about ahead. it. What's the difference? So in other words, Amazon, yeah. you know what they're selling. Yeah. Basically everything, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Shopee, same thing. Most of them focus on electronics because that's something that every with which everybody's familiar, mm-hmm. but there's some clothing and stuff like that involved as mm-hmm. well, right? And some, you know, paper towels and face tissues and stuff like that, your sort of day-to-day essentials. What's different about Etsy? The biggest difference with Etsy is that they are going mainly to focus on second-hand stuff or vintage oh. stuff. So basically, like you are going on, on Etsy, if you want to sell your beautiful home decoration that you use for ten years and that now you don't you don't you don't want anymore because you just change home, for example, and you don't need you don't need, need it anymore. Okay, so but let, but let's back up a little bit. Didn't yeah. Etsy start as a place for like crafts? Yeah, also yeah. So this was like crafts. You know I mean, like you make something stuff, with beads yeah. and you put it out there. No one's going to buy that on Amazon because that's not why people not. are going there. Definitely not. So, okay, go ahead. So so yeah so. V- this was the typical theme that you could find on, on Etsy. Right. Craft, vintage, and sit and end stuff, basically. Got so, it, got it, got it. Yeah, so, so you were going there for like some authenticity, basically. Like oh, if you want okay. something like you more You couldn't get anywhere made, else, right? You could not get anywhere else. Right. Like, and also if you were doing something special, like for, for example, last year Etsy saw like a huge growth thanks to masks. Because people started to, to create homemade masks. And sell them oh. where on Etsy? Because that's the only place it's where like masks with fangs on it, or masks with like the Ghostbusters an, symbol, for on example, it or yeah. whatever, yeah. <laughs> or wh- whatever. I'm not sure that in Europe, for example, it got very f- popular, as we did not have masks from the government, right? So people that should just take, you know, some t- tissue, make, make something nice, and sell that, right? So it was, yeah, that's that's the purpose initially of of Etsy, right? So. Again, it feels really niche. And mm-hmm. in this case, when I say niche, I don't, I, I don't mean like specialized p- potentially. I just mean small, mm-hmm. right? In other words, in the real world, everybody wants to buy one craft thing, right? So if it's your birthday coming up and instead of getting you an iPhone case from Apple, maybe I go into Etsy and I get an iPhone case with like some kind of affected beaded French flag on the back of it or something <laughs> that I think you'll like, which you probably won't like. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's a small market I think for that stuff, and you can argue with me. I know Etsy's been funded, and I don't even know if it's public or who owns it. But it, people get excited about this because it's different, and then it just starts to flatline. Yeah, because, and also I think like one of the things that maybe is kind of threatening for 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 Etsy would be the fact that when you get traffic and attention. Then if I tomorrow I want to launch my business, maybe I should do it do, do it on on Etsy, and we lose this craft uh, based you know philosophy. Sure, sure, sure. Be just because we have traffic, so we we end up in the in, in the same purpose of Amazon of anything, right? But then yeah. what happens, right? So the, again, this happened to the big department stores. It's the yeah. perfect example. So Etsy becomes like all the rage. Yeah. Etsy is just a proxy for other marketplaces mm-hmm. like this. Like, like I said, not second tier, but not first tier, kind of in the middle between first tier and second tier. Mm-hmm. So it's just an example of it. It's not the only one. But again, it becomes all the rage. So people think, wait a second, I have kind of a, an interesting, unique product. Why should I sell it on Amazon where there's Definitely. a ton of other people selling a ton of competition and a bunch of noise? And if I just like present my product a little bit like this, yeah. then it can fit into the Etsy community basically exactly so i can fit it into the etsy philosophy or community or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. but then i can stand out as well because there's less noise Mm -hmm. and um, my marketing dollars should go further Mm -hmm. and because there's less kind of craziness going on there people will see it and say oh you should get this thing on etsy so etsy's happy as well but it dilutes the brand. Completely. And this is the problem with these big marketplaces, just like it was a problem with, for people that are from the United States, with Nordstrom's and Macy's and all these big department stores become exactly the same. Right? So why would I go to Filene's, which you've never even heard of? Never. <laughs> as opposed to going to Macy's, which essentially sell the same stuff, mm-hmm. 
but maybe just like in different locations. Actually, like when I when I think about it now, like for example, in Bangkok, like why I would go to Emporium or Central or like any other kind of of mall, they are doing the same thing and don't find the same store and the same product inside. So it's not like a big difference, right? <laughs> I mean, maybe the restaurant and the bars inside. But maybe I mean nobody from the <laughs> central nobody from the central group would like hearing this. But what is the difference between Central Embassy yeah. and M Courtier? Yeah. Except for the really terrible walking around design <laughs> and the really poorly placed escalators. But it's the same thing online, mm-hmm. right? So, sorry, you brought up Etsy and I interrupted you. No, no, no but, problem. But what did, they, what, what did they do recently? Because yeah, so, this is indicative, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what, what they did recently, it's kind of like um, definitely line up with what you just said before about big companies like acquiring other company, right? So they just acquired another company, another marketplace called Depop. Um, so first of all, the first thing that really, really surprised me, so about the deal is the price. So just to, just to clarify a bit, so Depop is doing kind of the same thing as, as Etsy, but only for cl- cl- clothing and fa- fashion. Wait a second, no? So yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah. What does that mean anymore? So In other words, are they just selling stuff online or is it supposed to be... So you, you, you can go on Depop and you can either sell your second hand clothes ah. or you can sell the thing that you created by yourself. So just more beads. Sorry? More, it's like beads on clothes. <laughs> um, yeah, we didn't say that. <laughs> no, because there used to be this thing, and you'll see, the, you'll see the reason why I'm saying this, right? But there used to be this thing called, um, what was it called? Honest movie trailers. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, because a n- normal movie trailer would make it exciting or make it funny if it was supposed to be a comedy, but it was really dishonest, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> and this honest trailer was just like, this is just a copy of Die Hard. Okay. <laughs> just the same one. <laughs> and the funniest one was Die Hard with snakes. Anyway, but this feels to me like just clothes with beads. Yeah, that's, 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 that's like, yeah, the same idea, but with this really, really nice branding and marketing uh, w- without clothes and, uh, and fashion. So if you want something in fashion, you will go there because this is where people who like fashion and, and create stuff go there, right? So this is what we built. Uh, this is what we did. And yeah, actually, like we got a pretty nice amount of users. Okay. Where's uh, it based? What? Where's it based? In the US. So it's a US-based company. Yeah. I've never even heard of it. I mean, I read the article, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But I've never even heard of it. Mm-hmm. Is same it just because I'm too old? So actually, like, so the first thing that really surprised me about the deal, uh, so besides what, what you said before, right. uh, regarding this strategy of, of acquiring this kind of company, the first thing that really, really surprised me was the price. Because Depop, actually, they have like, they say that they have 2 million sellers on the platform right. and 4 million buyers. And the revenue of the company in 2020 was $70 million. Oh my God, $70 million. Yeah. So are you going to pay $1.6 billion to buy a company of that size? So I cannot do the discount cash flow math in my head. What did they pay? One point what? $1.6 billion. $1.6 billion. Yeah. And Etsy, Etsy state that it's almost only cash. So that they, they really spend $1.6 billion to, for a company who would get like $70 million in revenue and only 6 million users. For me, it looks like a huge price for this size. But I mean, again, I haven't gone and done this sort of statistical analysis here, but think about a regular store that only had twice as many buyers mm-hmm. as it has sellers, right? And this is, I think, one of the biggest problems with the marketplaces is what's the stickiness of any one of those sellers? Mm-hmm. In other words, is there a restriction for an Etsy seller not to be on Amazon? That's not to have their own website? No. You know what I mean? Not to have their own Dr. Tech. They can do it if you want. Built site. <laughs> so... Actually, you raise a point very interesting because actually like, there are some people who want to have their own website and also uh, put their product and so on, 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 on Etsy. Go ahead. So for example, I have some of my customers who asked me to develop an integration between Dr. Tech and Etsy so we can synchronize both catalog and all the products that they had on Dr. Tech and, and sell on their standalone website. They want us to display that on marketplaces like Etsy, Amazon, eBay, right. but for the only reason because there is traffic there. 
So we completely lost the philosophy uh, of Etsy, of the crafted stuff, and, and sit on end. No, no, they just want just traffic generation to sell, right? So now it's instead of becoming an e-commerce company, now it's just a lead gen company. So yeah. <laughs> but if you're going to create, so here's the problem, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to get back to the price as well. There's a bunch of different things to talk about. But if you're just going to be a lead generation company, you're going to lose to Amazon. And you're going to lose to Google because the Google ad network, right, is so much more powerful than the Etsy yeah. ad network per se. Definitely. Right? And what you're trying to do is you're trying to, <clears throat> again, it's almost like opening up a shop next to a really famous shop mm-hmm. and hoping for traffic overflow. Mm-hmm. No? For, you mean for the synchronization between like a standard on the website, for example? And yeah, so uh, for your sellers, yeah. it makes, for your sellers, it makes perfect oh, sense. Yeah. Complete sense, right? Because <laughs> they're like, mm, I don't want to pay any extra money necessarily for marketing. Mm-hmm. I've got a great sales team already. I'm already selling a bunch of stuff. My backend Dr. Tech. Awesome. Is awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm not kidding though, right? So my backend Dr. Tech, the stuff that builds my website is awesome. I've got all this stuff that I can use and all these tools that I have. But if I can integrate easily, Right, so if there's an API or some kind of pipe that just throws my stuff on Etsy, yeah, that's and I can get supplementary or complementary sales and synchronize those things together for, for free or for or free, almost free or for all close to yeah. free. But mm-hmm. again, I, I like to price everything on the margin, mm-hmm. and on the margin, connecting to a site like that is free. Yeah, right. It doesn't cost me any money in the engineering cost if you can create that connectivity because we have because we do it because you do it for them and you do it for everybody. Right, mm-hmm. it's relatively cheap for them, even if it, there's a small cost on the margin. It's free. Mm-hmm. And if it drives more sales for them, that's great. I wonder what it does for Etsy, though. Right? I think that's super bad. <laughs> <laughs> it feels super bad. I think it's super bad because this is not not this is exactly not what what we should want on the platform, right? So, like this is not the philosophy initially, and it just drive the platform and the global uh, pool of product towards something like. Amazon, for example. So. Right. So let me give you let me give you a perfect example of this, and I mm-hmm. think about this example a lot. When I was living in Tokyo, I would fly back to New York. I mean, many times for business, but also sometimes personally. Uh, often I would go back for New Year's Eve, and then I'd stay for a few more days and do some shopping for things that either I couldn't buy in Tokyo or I could, but I could buy much less expensively in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense at all, <laughs> but probably true. And one of the things that I used to do, and what, if I had been a kid, so when I was much younger, I would have gone to Macy's or Bloomingdale's and gone to the little bespoke Ralph Lauren section and bought some polo shirts and bought some Ralph Lauren socks and some, you know, some work shirts and, just, and some towels and stuff and brought them home with me. But Ralphie caught on to this and opened up this amazing store on 72nd and Madison, I'm thinking. It's been a while since I've been in New York, so I can't remember. Okay. Because you'd go into Macy's, or you'd go into Bloomingdale's, and it would just be a mess, and then you'd have to go up to the seventh floor, and even if there was a big area there where you could buy all the Ralph Lauren stuff, you know, the salespeople were not specialists in Ralph Lauren, even though they were wearing the clothing, but they would be milling around the floor. But if you went into, I think it was the old Vanderbilt mansion up on 72nd and Madison, the only stuff that was in there was Ralph. It was a beautiful setting. They did the inside like it was a Ralph Lauren home. And you could get products that you couldn't get anywhere else. And the only people that were in there were the people that were shopping for that stuff. There was no noise, right? So my fear is that, that some of these big marketplaces are at the same stage that these big department stores were is that they keep bringing on things because they're worried about growth. And what they end up doing is just creating more noise, mm-hmm. right? So again, one of the things that I like to talk about a lot when I talk about e-commerce is product discovery, mm-hmm. right? So Etsy and similar marketplaces will always brag, we have 2 million sellers. Which means... The Yucky. <laughs> to me, sorry, it means what? Yeah, it means like you have to find a way to make every product dis- discoverable and this is definitely not going to be an easy task. No, like when I go into, when I, when I go into a hardware store, I don't mm-hmm. want to look at 2,000 different types of screwdrivers. Mm-hmm. I just want to find the one that's, that's for my project. Mm-hmm. So when I go online, it, I think in some cases it's even harder to find something online. I can't see it. It doesn't stick out. Mm-hmm. Search terms are buyable. Right, so they're tradable, which means that I can type something into the search thing 
and not get the thing that I'm trying to find. Definitely, thanks to advertising. Perfect. Right, same as advertising <laughs> and Google AdWords and whatever it is. But you understand the point, yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. But if I go on to the fifth floor mm-hmm. of the Ralph Lauren store in Manhattan, it's just towels and home stuff. Mm-hmm. And now I just need to find the white towels that I want in the three sizes that I need. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. And the person that's manning that sort of towel section, they know the towels inside and out because they've been trained to do that. Mm-hmm. There's no discovery problem there, mm-hmm. right? And in no case, if Ralph Lauren was running out of <clears throat> growth, would they bring in another brand? Never. There was never going to be another brand in that store. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, right? At all. So it why doesn't does it feel good at all to, like, to, to imagine a Ralph Lauren store start to sell something else because right. they want to, you know, like they want also to sell some electronics and they hope that people will buy electronics and buy clothes at the same time, right? Yeah, like imagine being in a, in, a, in a Ralph Lauren polo store uptown in Manhattan. You're the perfect customer for a really expensive like iPad Pro mm-hmm. because your, your income fits the profile of the person who would buy both of those products. Mm-hmm. But could you imagine like a mini Apple store Inside the Ralph Lauren. <laughs> or vice versa. Or vice versa. You're trying to find like the right, you know, the right iPhone case. And someone goes, you know, people who bought this iPhone case also bought mm-hmm. polo shirts. <laughs> and you have the seller who tried to sell you the polo shirt. I mean, you'd shoot them, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, it would feel completely, completely real, right? And wrong, completely wrong. So, but, but actually, like, when you go, go to ahead. the department store, like, it's kind of, like, what, what happens, you can have, like, the Apple store and the Ralph Lauren store, like, next to, next to each other. So, you are, you are going into one, you can then go to the other one, but at least into this little store, the, the atmosphere and what you're going to see and buy is only one brand, right? So, you, there's not, not, not the noise of the other brand. Right. What you have on market, marketplaces, if you go on Amazon or Etsy or whatever, and you try to look for a products, you're going to have a lot of overbrand that are going to be displayed on the same page because Amazon wants you to add new item to your cart or it's, it's going to say, hey, this one is, is frequently buy with this product and doesn't matter at all if it's the same store, if it's the same brand, as long as Amazon thinks that you, you might increase your spending on the, on the platform, they are going to, to do that. Right. So this never works. This never works. <laughs> no, but this whole idea of trying to take... <clears throat> because you can go back to General Motors. Mm-hmm. Have you even heard of General Motors? Yeah. But I mean, rare, barely, right? I'd, maybe not as much as you, for sure. <laughs> but I, so I've never owned a General Motors car okay. for a bunch of different reasons. But I followed it from a business perspective because I thought what they were doing was really interesting from its genesis where they said, wait a second... If we make this car for you when you get your first car, when you're in your 20s, mm-hmm. in your 30s, you'll buy a more expensive car. Why should we let them buy a European brand? When you're in your 40s and you're wealthier, you'll buy a Cadillac or a Buick. And then when you're really rich and retired, you'll buy a Cadillac. Why shouldn't we own the whole chain? chain. The only problem is that you, as you start building, then you start looking for synergies. So over time, what happened to General Motors, and this isn't the only bad thing that happened because the quality went down regardless. But they said, wait a second, we have these five car nameplates. Why should we build five different drivetrains? Let's just build one platform and we'll change the top of the car and maybe some of this stuff inside the car. And in the end, there was, no, there was brand confusion. There was no brand differentiation. And people would look at it and go, Oh, but it's just a... If I'm buying a Cadillac, <laughs> it's like buying a Chevrolet. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it looks the same. It feels the same. It feels the same. Yeah. Never mind. I'm going to buy a BMW. Because yeah. everyone knows that's different. And when you see companies do this, I get nervous because I feel like there's brand dilution. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder whether the marketplaces are going through this brand dilution problem as well. And if they are, what do you think it means? If they are, like, actually, like... If, if we take back the car example, we have a su- su- successful example of a company who did that, which is Vo- Volkswagen. Okay, like, go ahead. Until like, a few years ago, like, where like, the big problem about the pollution in, in, in the cars came up, like, if you w- remove that, which is kind of big, but 
it's still like a huge group who would who own like so many brands. What do they own now, though? Do you remember? We got Lamborghinis, we got uh, Porsche, we got Volkswagen, we got like uh, and like so much, like really a lot. So yeah, it's kind of successful. I think they're making a lot of money Volkswagen by doing this, and um, yeah. What, 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 what's your opinion on that? <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about Volkswagen as well. So Volkswagen was one of the biggest car companies in the world. Yeah. Right? And there was a whole bunch of financial engineering that was going on with... They also own Audi, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a whole bunch of financial engineering that was going on with Porsche, who on their own as a separate company mm-hmm. started building different styles of cars. Like in the old days, even you can remember, you could buy a 911, they started making a slightly cheaper car when I was a kid called the 944. Mm-hmm. It was horribly ugly. Very few people bought it. <laughs> and if you did buy it, people were like, oh, not rich enough to buy the oh. 911, so good luck to you. <laughs> and then they said, <clears throat> okay, we're not going to make the 944 anymore. It's a terrible design. But then they came out with this thing that they called the Cayman, I think. Mm-hmm. Beautiful car. But mostly, again, bought by people that couldn't afford the 911. They had already segmented the 911 into the 911, the 911 Turbo, the Targa, which was the convertible. And then they came out with the Cayenne, which is a car that I owned. My favorite car of all time, actually. That's we, why you liked it as you... No, because it had a four-liter engine. It had a sport mode. The thing flew, and it was so fast. I think the fastest I went in that thing was 240 kilometers an hour. But more importantly, just from a strategic brand-building standpoint, again, they were trying to have a less expensive car, appeal to a different mm-hmm. populace than the people, different consumer set than the people that were buying the 911, which was very specific. The, the Cayenne was for the families, right? It's an SUV. And, you know, my friends used to call it <laughs> the Porsche Compromise. You could own a Porsche, but it wasn't the one you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> so you did the Cayenne. <laughs> so you have to get the Cayenne if you have a family. But the point is that they went through some financial engineering and they got into a lot of trouble and the price of their stock dropped a lot. And yeah, and Volkswagen was like, we should buy them. So the experiment of Volvo being a fully integrated car company with multiple brands and stuff is still relatively new. Mm -hmm. So I think the jury is out on whether that's working or not. But even the better example, I think, is some of the Japanese car companies. For years, you had Honda... Nissan and Toyota mm-hmm. as the three biggest Japanese car companies. Mm-hmm. And they said, wait a second, why are we building all these great cars that everybody loves, top ranked every year in Motor Trend magazine? And as soon as people get wealthy enough, they go and buy a Mercedes. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. We have them mm-hmm. and we don't have just have them in Japan, we have them globally. Mm-hmm. And you'll see where this comes back, right? So they all built their own brands that had different names so they didn't call it like the honda expensive car they called it the acura mm-hmm. and i'm just trying to think toyota also came out with, with lexus yeah and nissan came out with infinity mm-hmm. with an i at the end mm-hmm. <clears throat> but again at the end of the day their their high-end cars just looked like their regular cars with just some fancy dials inside and maybe some bigger engines and they, did, they sold well, right? Because the quality was good. But at the end of the day, no one's proud of like owning a Lexus. You know but, you're, I mean? but you're proud to have a, a Mercedes, like a nice Mercedes or a nice BMW, right? Yeah, so here's what, here's what happened in reverse. While all that was going on, what did the German fancy car makers do? I don't know. They went in reverse. Okay. Well, so BMW bought Mini. Yeah. Right? And... And they also started, so when when BMW copied the SUV that Porsche came out with, Mm -hmm. they called it the X5. Mm -hmm. It was expensive. $100,000, at least in Japan, it was $125,000. Very expensive car. But what they wanted to do, then they made the X3. They were like, okay, we know some people can't afford it, but they want a BMW. Mm -hmm. We'll give them the aspirational X3. Because then they could say, I've got a BMW SUV. Mm -hmm. Are you driving a Nissan kind of thing? Yeah, that's true. It doesn't feel the same. Doesn't feel the same. <laughs> and actually, they, 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 also, they also made the X1. So that was the next thing. Then they, they made, made like the X1. The it's even cheaper. Yeah. 
they also made, so BMW, my whole lifetime, right, as an adult, they had the 3 Series, the 5 Series, the 7 mm-hmm. Series, sometimes the 6 Series, right? And then they built the X5 to kind of compete with the family car. Mm-hmm. They did the X3, and I was like, okay, that's for people that can't afford the X5 for sure. Then it's one. Then the X1 is for one people that don't want to drive a Nissan. <laughs> they don't understand. <laughs> but it gets back to this idea of you can, you can go lower, but you can't go higher, I think. Mm-hmm. But just to get back to the e-commerce companies, it's the idea is when you run out of really great growth ideas, you start doing things that you shouldn't do. For growth. For growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, def- that definitely makes sense. And we can see that it's what, what they are doing right now, right, Etsy? And actually, like, I was also very surprised about the revenue of Etsy on the last, um, what, 10 years, I think, some, some, something like that. Like last year, they made the same revenue of year 2014, I think, or 2013. And actually, like, between 2014 and 2020, the revenue like really crashed and then come back up. So, 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 so it's like they, they have been doing very, very, very bad, then came back up, but now they are at the same level of re- revenue as seven or eight years, years, years ago. Right. But they're not going to apply the same strategy that they did seven years, 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 years ago. Now they start to acquire other company. Right, and this is, if you're buying other companies for growth, at least in my mind, it's not good. <laughs> you are done. You may as well just buy a toaster and put yourself in it because you are toast. <clears throat> yeah. So what do you think of the price? Because like when I see this price of a company who's making $70 million of re- 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 revenue with only 6 million users and you buy it $1.6 billion, I'd like to compare that to the Instagram price. When Facebook acquired Instagram, so f- Facebook bought Instagram for $1 billion. Right. But Instagram had 30 million users on the platform. 30 million users, yeah. yeah. So Instagram had zero revenue, but 30 million users. And Facebook knew exactly how to monetize them because they just did the exact same business model based on, on advertising. Right. So they just bought 30 million users users basically for one billion dollars right right and then we just did the exact same thing so go yeah ahead. no go ahead so yeah so this is like when i compare that i'm like facebook seems to have a much better deal than what etsy got with Depop. right but now you have to talk about a business model now you want to have a business model conversation let's back up and talk about what etsy paid for um for Depop. Mm-hmm. You paid $1.6 billion for something that's generating $70 million a year in revenue. So if you look at, um, if you look at <laughs> what they paid for each dollar of revenue, they paid 22 times, almost 23 times revs. Mm-hmm. That's not that expensive. Okay. It's just not. Right? So I don't know where Apple's trading today or where Amazon's trading today based on its revenue, but it's way higher than that. And the reason why, look, these transactions are predictors of the future. Basically, what Etsy's making a bet, and all companies are making a bet, that they're going to predict. So these are all, all these purchases are predictive mechanisms, right? And the idea is, at 23 times revs, right, it's going to be worth way more if we can increase revenues, mm-hmm. right? And what would it cost us to, to generate, and this is the problem, right? It's what would it cost us to generate another $70 million of annual revenue over time? So that's the bet they're making is that that's okay. And at 23 times revs, if that were a regular company that was listed on a stock exchange, that would be okay. Mm-hmm. But it would only be okay if it was predicting much more growth in the future. So they expect much more growth, right? They do, but the question is, will there really be more growth? And what was the second question you had? So I don't know, but that was, that, that, that was only this one regarding like the price and compare ah, that to the... To, to Google and YouTube. Oh, what, yeah. Oh, was it Google and YouTube, you said, or oh, Facebook and, yeah, and, Facebook and, Instagram. and Instagram? Okay. Yeah. But <clears throat> here's the thing. When Facebook bought Instagram, it had 30 million users. Mm-hmm. How many users does Instagram have today? I don't know, but like much more. <laughs> Probably everybody that uses Facebook, yeah. if you can divide it by two. So Facebook has two point something monthly average users. Yeah, that's, that's huge. So Instagram, which is now integrated into Facebook, now is one point something billion users. Must be, yeah. Right? But Facebook also was afraid when they bought Instagram 
somebody else by them, right? No, no, no. Well, that too, but also, like, yeah, because there were other bidders, but other companies were afraid that all of this traffic was moving to Instagram because this, the biggest social thing that people shared on Facebook was photos. Yeah. And it didn't matter if it was a cat photo, a dog photo, a photo of like coffee or whatever. So it was just, it, it it was just it, photos. It was a photo. And Instagram was starting to dominate the photo space. And mm -hmm. they had an unbelievable product. And when people thought about sharing photos, they thought about Instagram mm -hmm. first. And also, what was Instagram's business model back then? It's a rhetorical question. The reason why is because it was nothing. Yeah, it was nothing. It had no business. They had no <laughs> business. Zero revenue at all. Actually, they could do. Because they could just, they could see what Facebook was doing, right? So they could just do the same. But actually, like, what's, like, what really surprised me from a startup point of view is that, like, Facebook bought Instagram 540 days after Instagram started. One year and a half. <laughs> Not even 600 days. Like, such a short period of time. So this also explains why we cannot, like, build 30 million users plus a product plus a business model, right? Right. So, but again... All of these purchases are what? We said predictive mechanisms, right? And everyone's making a bet. So I'm guessing that Facebook looked at the growth of Instagram, its you know, cumulative growth on a month-by-month -month basis, and says, if this continues, this must be crazy. it's going to be insane. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, we're going to get disintermediated when it comes to photo sharing. Mm -hmm. If we don't own this thing, we're going to get run over by a company that's only... How many weeks old, you said? How many days old? 543 <laughs> yeah. days old or something? It's crazy, right? <laughs> There's some idea out there that the monopoly laws in the United States should have prevented that purchase from happening. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, it didn't happen, right? Anyway, but also the business models were completely the same. Mm -hmm. And because Instagram wasn't monetizing it, and I want to talk about Google and YouTube because it's the same idea, mm -hmm. right? Same idea. Is that they were afraid that they were going to take away all their users. <clears throat> when Etsy bought Depop, they weren't afraid of that at all. They cannot predict the same growth now that Depop was having. We don't know what it is off the top of our heads mm -hmm. that Instagram was having at the time. So this was a no-brainer to buy Instagram. Mm -hmm. No-brainer, yeah. And, and, and no revenue, so even a one more dollar of revenue would drop right, like right to the bottom line, mm -hmm. or most of it, yeah? Definitely. Go ahead. De de definitely, and actually, like, when you are Facebook and you want to acquire Instagram, like, I think they really, really paid, like, a very, very cheap price for buying in, in Instagram, because when you are Facebook, you have all the data, right? They have, at this moment, I don't remember exactly the figures, but they already have a lot of users. They were already making a lot of money, so they knew exactly how much money they were making per user. So basically, like when they bought Instagram, they could compare the price of the user of the buy on Instagram and the price of the re revenue they earned on Facebook. And actually, like I don't remember the math, but it was highly profitable. So that's why like for Facebook, it's a no-brainer. You, you just buy in, in Instagram $1 billion, okay, because you get 30 million users. Imagine you make, like let's say, like uh, $50 per users. That's profitable. Easy, right? But when you are Etsy and you go to, to Depop and you pay 1.6 billion, you cannot do, do the same math because the, the numbers are much smaller than that. That's, that's, that's my point. It's not even that though, right? Let's go back to your example. Yeah. So Facebook says, here's how many users we have and we know how much money we're mm -hmm. making from them and we know most of our users are sharing photos. Yeah, so we just buy them. <laughs> Wait a second. And then we look at Instagram. They have 30 million users, which we don't have, Yeah. right? And they're making zero dollars. Mm -hmm. So if we can just make half of what we're already making off of our photo sharing users off of their 30 million, and if their growth continues, it's like crazy. even at half the pace, and even if it normalizes and slows down, we believe that's another billion users for us. And if we can get those billion users to pay us the, or to be worth the same amount of money as our existing users, crazy. we would pay $10 billion <laughs> for that. Exactly. Yeah. And if those wise guys want to sell it to us for a billion, <laughs> we'll do that trade three times a day. Awesome. Done, done, Definitely. done. <laughs> but... When you look at the marketplaces now that are going out to buy other sellers, right? And this goes back to something we were talking about a few weeks ago. They're already monetizing them, mm -hmm. right? Their 2 million sellers and their 4 million buyers are already doing transactions. Yep. They know what they're worth. I want to go back to the data in a second. It's going to be hard to get more growth out of those users. You're not going to sell them exactly. the same things at higher prices. Exactly. So this is kind of like what, what, what I think is that 
this platform, when you are Etsy, for example, you know, and you and you want to grow, there's not a lot of possibility that we can have. Like you can have either a lot of more sellers, maybe some buyers, but also you can like add more verticals, right? You can. So, like for example, if you focus, I don't know, on home stuff, and you can like start selling clothes, right, and on the same model, right. And then, so what I think they think <laughs> is that by occurring uh, a marketplace with doing almost the same thing as them, but very strong into fashion, is that they're gonna be able to expand the number of, of verticals they are in. So they want the customers of both platform to go on the other platform. So they don't need to spend as much as they do right now to, to do some customer acquisition, because right. they already have them. And the same thing for the sellers. So. Right. They want people to be able to expand and still uh, profit from that, but also lower their cost in terms of customer acquisition. Right. But still, once again, I think the numbers are way too small for doing something that like are way too small in terms of users for that price. That's but even as a strategy, it's just lame. Let me ask you a question. If your mom or your uncle or whatever calls you from France, and I don't know who the big e-commerce providers are, but let's just say you were an American, right? And they, they somebody called you and said, oh, I need to get a new something. Mm -hmm but I don't want to go out and buy it. Where would you send them to buy it? On one of the Dr. Tech store. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Not even properly pronounced in French. No, but where would you send them? I mean, for the most part, you're just going to go, look, why don't you just log on to Amazon? I'll just yeah. get on my Amazon account. What do you want, mom? Mm -hmm. You'll do it. You'll send it to her. You'll pay for it with your credit card. You're done. You have to think about it, right? Yeah. You're not going to do a lot of price comparison and stuff like that. It's just easy. Mm -hmm. So... Why are these other marketplaces going out and trying to pay for more people to come on a platform where there's no growth anyway? Mm -hmm. Right? <clears throat> Think about it. When Amazon itself wants to grow, sure, and during the pandemic, they grew a lot because just more people were fundamentally shopping online and not going to stores. Which is like kind of normal, right? That's be normal. Be because of the situation. Yeah, they didn't have to do yeah. anything. Yeah. They didn't like market and yeah. just go, hey, the pandemic's on. Come down to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> people just knew. Yeah, just knew. Yeah. They had to shop more. But one of the fastest growing parts of Amazon is their AWS business, mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with e-commerce per se. Mm -hmm. But that makes perfect sense. They took a business in which they didn't exist like 13 or 14 years ago. I can't remember exactly when it yeah, started. Yeah, you're right. That's, yeah. I, I can't see your point now. Right? And they just <laughs> built something completely different. But not 100% not completely different because they had to build AWS for, for themselves. Absolutely. First. So actually, like, they got all the knowledge that they developed for themselves. And then they sure. say, hey, we are awesome at that, actually. Right. <laughs> Much better than anybody else because nobody else switched the size that we have right now. So we had to, to, to create the whole big and huge and reliable and safe infrastructure in terms of servers. So what if you want to buy that, right? <laughs> and that's it, right? Right. So you're, you're right. I see your point. Like instead of going to buy like over competitor or trying to expand into, oh, actually like Amazon expand into every vertical. Already. But, but by, by themselves, right? They didn't create like some other brands or some other website. They did that everything under the umbrella of Amazon. And after that, they started to use the intelligence and what they know inside of a company to create other services. And you're right, AWS have historically been one of the biggest source of re revenue for Amazon. Right, but it doesn't mean, right, so let's go back and pick another retailer, right, because mm -hmm. Amazon is fundamentally a retailer but an online retailer. Mm -hmm. But if Walmart, which fundamentally is not an online retailer, and I know people you know, D will DM me and say, yes, they are, they bought Jet and all this <laughs> other stuff. I know the answers here, right? to this particular topic. But if they had gone out and built like, you know, what is it? You know, Walmart Web Services, WWS, people would have thought they were crazy because they have no embedded experience yeah. in building that. Yep. Right? So what Amazon did looks like, well, that's a completely different business. But the reality is that at its core, Amazon is not a retailer. Mm -hmm. They're a tech company. Definitely, yeah. Right, Definitely. and there's some question as to why the big tech companies like Microsoft, which now has Azure, which competes mm -hmm. with AWS, Huawei is Huawei Cloud, Google has Google Cloud Services. They all do that, right? They all do it, and even Apple mm -hmm. is now thinking, why don't we introduce our own cloud services? Because everybody who develops for the iOS platform, instead of being on AWS, oh, it to be on. should be on the Apple platform. And yeah. if they're on the Apple cloud services platform, we can actually charge them for it, so they're paying for it anyway. 
So we can instantaneously make a ton more revenue. Definitely. But then we can get more data and all the things that go along with having cloud services. That makes perfect sense for me from a completely. business building standpoint. Oh, completely. Right? It's logical, right? <laughs> yeah. Completely. Yeah. And even if it costs them money for some customer acquisition, that's good customer acquisition because they can model what the revenue is going to be mm. based on what they see and what they know. Exactly, yeah. And they have everything else that, that they can sell also to them. Like, for example, if you create Apple Cloud and you get some new d d developers who were before working on Google and for Android, maybe exactly. you can get those guys to create app now for the, the Apple Store and use Apple products. And so, like, actually, it makes the whole business grow, right? Absolutely. Not only just one line, but, like, just the whole business grow. That's why it made complete, complete sense, as you say, for Amazon to do AWS, for Google to, to do Google Cloud, but now, what about Etsy would get deep up? <laughs> so that's my point. Is I'm trying to show <laughs> yeah. examples of when you build a business that seems yeah. like it has nothing to do with your business and maybe if you're doing it just for the customer acquisition, in some cases it makes perfect sense. It's mm -hmm. completely logical. Yeah. But if you just go back to the equivalency of some of these offline retailers mm -hmm. and watch what they did as they began to lose their leverage inside their business, it's not that different. I won't say it's no different, but it's not that different from what some of these online retailers are doing as they start to lose their growth engines, mm -hmm. right? And one of the other things that happened offline, like I said earlier, was the brands that were inside some of the big offline marketplaces or department stores said, thank you very much. We're going to do our own distribution. Their brand was already established <clears throat> and they broke out and opened their own stores uptown. Okay. And I put uptown in quotes, right? Because they just started managing their own brand. And they did it globally. There was a Ralph Lauren polo store in Tokyo. I'm sure there was one in Paris. I know there was one in London. Nike did the same thing, right? Yeah. They owned the Nike stores. They could control the whole experience. Mm -hmm. I think, and you know this because you're building into it, that individual sellers and individual brands and even new brands will come along that will say, I don't want to be part of that platform at all because I want to own my own brand identity, I want to own all my own data, mm -hmm. and I want to own my own growth. And I think what this is showing to me, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the bigger platforms are starting to realize, or some of the 1.5 tier platforms are thinking, I'm running out of ways to grow organically. Yeah. And if I'm doing that, instead of innovating, we talk a lot about what, you know, yeah. is it solved yet? Go ahead. Like once again, we don't talk at all about, uh, about innovation because no. there is no innovation. None. Like this, None. this is like one of the biggest news this week in e-commerce, in, in e right? And once again, there is no innovation. It's something that we saw so much like, like the last right, 10, 20, 50 years that like always been here, this, this strategy into business, right? And yeah, there's still no innovation into that. So you brought this up, and I'm going to go back to the, the Volkswagen mm -hmm. and the Porsche example. Mm -hmm. So if I had said to you 15 or 20 years ago, I'm definitely going to buy the new Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. I need to have the, I love this car. This car drives. I've been aspiring to get a Volkswagen my whole life. You would just walk away thinking, that's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best, like that's as high as you're aiming kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? And it depends how you look at cars. If you just look at it as a utility, as a utilitarian thing, sure. Why not? It's cheap, it works, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But if I said to you, I want to have a 911 Turbo, Targa, you would at least think, dude's aiming high. <laughs> and if I drove up in one, you'd be super impressed. Mm -hmm. Whether that's good or bad, I'm not making a value judgment, but you would. And I'll tell you what, because I followed the financial markets back then when all this was going on, when Porsche was going through its problems and Volkswagen swooped in and bought it, because Porsche was actually trying to buy Volkswagen. Okay. You don't know this. I don't know. But when that <laughs> happened, I remember sitting there and just thinking, oh God, I hope they don't ruin the 911. Already? I just hope they don't. Because, <laughs> you know, Volkswagen makes a car called the Touareg, right? Yeah. Yeah? If you took off the nameplate and put it next to the Cayenne, it's, it's really close to each other. It's almost the same. <laughs> yeah. And my friend started giving me flack because I bought one and then I bought my second one and then I bought a third one before, just before I moved to Thailand. And my friends were all going like, well, that's a bad deal. Like, why not just buy a Volkswagen Touareg since it sits on the same chassis? It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same car. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> True. So why why you buy the Porsche then, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> It makes me look taller. Ah, uh, that's why it's just a bit 
total, right? Don't I'm just it. kidding. <laughs> but again, this gets back to the Etsy thing, right? And again, I'm not jamming on Etsy. I don't really care, to be fair. But the idea is it's a proxy for the rest of the things that I think are happening in the e-commerce world, and that is when they run out of ways to innovate, when they run out of ways to sell more of the things that they thought were core mm-hmm. to their ability to sell online. They reach a plateau. They reach a plateau, mm-hmm. but also your pronunciation in French, very good of the word plateau. Actually, I tried to say it with the English accent, accent because we speak English here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't say it in French, you know, like they reach a plateau. And, uh, Not much different. <laughs> <laughs> but once they do, <laughs> not that I would know, right? <laughs> but once they do that, it corroborates what I think both of us already think is that from an innovative standpoint, it's companies like that are running out of it and they're getting nervous. Yeah. Right. So what should what can Etsy do? Like if if we, if we were there, you know, like I like. I'm really thinking, like, you're right, like, there is no innovation. And even for the customer point of view, like, it doesn't really change much, right? Like, and for example, like, Facebook in, in, introduced, because also, like, in this deal, which is interesting, is that Etsy decided to keep uh, the, mar- the marketplaces separated. Like, we do not operate the few websites, like, as stand, stand, standalone marketplaces. Right. Under the same umbrella, yes, but the brand, we do not keep the brand and the stand, standalone website. Which is for me, for customer point of view, there is a lot of customer who would not know that Depop is now Etsy and that they share some customer stuff. They share, right. they share some some marketing. So actually, right. when you buy there, you also buy on the other one, right? Right. So most of the people won't know that. And actually, I think what a good example of that is Facebook, who started from last year to put it's a Facebook company on Instagram on Instagram yeah. on WhatsApp and on of course. everything they own they course, say that it's Facebook <laughs> so but wait a second no, it's a really good example yeah when Facebook bought Instagram yeah they said very public and I, I remember only one of the guys names Kevin Systrom I think was one of the founders the original founders of Instagram and another guy whose name is Mike I believe but I can't remember but okay. it just shows you what the dynamics are like inside the company they said we're just going to let this run as a separate thing We think that these two founders are amazing. They've understood how to get growth and blah, blah, blah. And you knew when you were listening to it, this is just complete garbage. (laughs) It just is. Because only one of two things can happen. One is, it's just a complete lie. They integrate it in. They throw out the founders. And they don't give them any more self-determination. So the founders will leave. Because the only reason why you build your own company is to be self-determinant, right? I want to do it my way. Mm -hmm. And... You know, at the beginning, there are all these interviews that say, yeah, oh, Facebook is great to work at, and they give us all this autonomy and stuff like that. Never. Both of the founders are gone, <laughs> I believe, but at least Kevin's system's gone. Anyway, the other thing is that they let it just completely run on its own, mm-hmm. and then what was the point? Because mm-hmm. if there's no synergy, why are you buying it? Yeah. So there is definitely synergy. We cannot just, like, let's, let's, let's no. run on their own, right? So... Another benefit you can have when you do that, when you're Etsy, for example, is like just to reduce cost because like these two marketplaces, they must have like very low margin based on based on what they do, right? But very high customer acquisition cost. Right. So okay, so you buy the new customer, you hope that the customer is out going to switch to each other, so like you do not make more more money with the same customer, so that's good. But also like now you can like just gather all the tales, the marketing team and the, and the support staff and like just train them to the both because that's kind of the same business. So is it though? In other words, is the marketing, let, let's go back to the car example, is the marketing for a Porsche 911 the same. Turbo the same as it is for a Volkswagen Beetle? I hope not. The new Beetle, <laughs> I hope which not. doesn't even exist anymore. But if it is... In other words, there's a certain person that goes to work in the marketing group at Porsche. Mm-hmm. They own the Porsche sunglasses. They probably have those black gloves, right? They buy a Porsche branded phone. Mm-hmm. They, they love, they live, eat, and breathe the brand, mm-hmm. right? And in the same way, and they don't want to have anything to do with Volkswagen. They probably w- would rather be broken than take a job there kind of thing. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. I, and they probably look I down on them out. like... They're driving a Beetle, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cute and everything, but I'm I not interested. Much <laughs> but the person who works at Etsy, who builds a business around crafts, mm-hmm. is into that sort of minutia of craft building. Mm-hmm. And the bespoke, I'm only going to make seven of these because that's just me. Mm-hmm. And if I sell them and I make some money, that's great. And if I can build a platform around the stuff that does that, that's super. 
But that person is not going to want to be do marketing for fashion. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely not. Because the entire idea around what that marketing is like is not synergistic at all, I yeah. think. And the person that wants to do it here, who lives, eats, and breathes beads, mm-hmm. again, just as a proxy, <laughs> doesn't live, eat, and breathe fashion mm-hmm. in the same way. I don't think there are any synergies there. And you, you want to know one, one more point that can be strange? Is that... Depop, what they did like to, to, to get this growth in terms of y- users, they teach to their sellers how to get traffic. And, 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 and what do they say? They say, go to Instagram. So get the, get the traffic from Instagram and drive them to your Depop store, which really shows one thing to me is that the only real benefit that you have when you go to this kind of, 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 of platform is only the tech side. Like they don't they don't ask you too much. There is not too much work. You can just go there and set up an Etsy store or a Depop store or, or an Amazon store, which makes them feel like they have their own website or their own, uh, their own, their own yeah, place to sell online. But in the end, it's still on, on, on the marketplace. You follow, you follow the rules. You don't have all the data. So I think those people... One day they can understand that actually they drive the traffic, they drive the traction that they that they give to the to this kind of platform, right. and they can just do the same, but right. with their own website. Just do they, they, they don't change anything, but they just use their own website. But now they are in control of everything. They get all all the data and all the advantages. Think about the think about the business that you're trying to build. Mm-hmm. You're not even trying the the business that you're building, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you're more than trying. I think is the proper way to say it. You looked across the business landscape and you made a decision. Mm-hmm. Where can I have the most impact? Where's the most potential growth for me? Where can I build the next billion or multi-billion dollar company? At least. Yeah, at least. Right? Mm-hmm. And you said, there are companies out there that build tools for sellers. Mm-hmm. But they're bloated. They're too big. Mm-hmm. They're too expensive. And their interests are not necessarily aligned with the interests of the sellers. Mm-hmm. But what you didn't say, so you said, I'm going to build that because I can build that. I can build it better, stronger, faster, cheaper. Yeah, whatever it is. And I can get to scale. And I understand how that works. But what you didn't say was, well, two things. One is, I just want to build another marketplace. No. Because the time to do that has passed. Mm-hmm. And, right. and, and also, I know by your fact that when I talk to someone when I see and he's selling on, on, on Etsy, for example, he gets his traffic from Instagram or from Facebook. Right. So I'm like, there's no point. Right. <laughs> like, there's no really point no point. Of being on the marketplace. On being on the marketplace. If you have to, if you don't get traffic from, from, from the marketplace, if you don't do advertising there, which makes sense, but if you don't, it's just a matter of education. They yeah, just exactly. don't know. They just don't know that there is a better way. So that's why, like at first, when we when we try to um, to develop this this company, at first we told to to, to some people doing Etsy and stuff like that, and it was very too long to explain to them that there was a better way, right? <laughs> so, but I I believe that it will come, right? That it Absolutely. will come, and that's why I'm kind of worried for this company and it, and kind of like. Um, uh, join what you think uh, about they, they have no idea on how to grow so they do that and I would say like maybe they are scared also because like they might not be the best solution out there right. for their customers right you know yeah so I often say um, in a moment of humor mm-hmm. I wish I could have been in the meeting when X was decided whatever X is okay and I think like, this goes back to there was, a br- there was a tunnel, not a bridge, that got built in Tokyo underneath Chiba Bay. Okay. So it connected Tokyo to Chiba. Now, there were already roads that did it, but you had to go, kind of go around. And it took a long time. So the bay is about 10 kilometers long, almost exactly in the place where they built this tunnel. And the tunnel cost billions of dollars to build. Mm-hmm. I used to say, like, I wish I could have been in that meeting when some Japanese dude who worked for the highway authority said... I have an idea. Let's build a multi-billion dollar tunnel <laughs> under, Chiba, under Tokyo <laughs> Bay that goes to Chiba, and it should be simple to use. And someone said, that's a killer idea. So they actually greenlit this thing, and they said, and we'll charge 
because it's expensive to build this tunnel, charge $150 away, one way to go through the tunnel. Yeah. It's be perfect. Everybody Every, will pay. Everybody would pay for sure. Every day is very debate. <laughs> so it took years to build this tunnel, right? <laughs> and the only people that went through it were guys that owned, no, were guys that owned Ferraris <laughs> and Porsches. And, and raced. And they raced because it was 10, it was 10 kilometers, which is like a straight shot. <laughs> That's funny. And well, you know, Tokyo Drift is like a thing. Yeah. So people with really fancy and fast cars would just like go into the tunnel and just go five, <laughs> four, three, two, because it was expensive. And they just, and they'd race to the 10 kilometers to the other side of the tunnel. It was super dangerous and super crazy. But those were the only people that could afford it. So I always say like, I want to be in the meeting. I would have loved to have been in that meeting where the people are like, hi, hi, hi. Yari show. Let's definitely build this thing. Mm-hmm. Because I want to be in the meeting at Etsy. But sometimes these meetings take on a life of their own. Even if it's not logical, you're sitting in the meeting and somebody says, what we need to do to grow is we need to buy growth. Mm-hmm. And somebody actually had to green light this. They had to spend, you said it was $1.6 billion in cash. Yeah. We talked about this in the context of an <clears throat> insure tech company that I won't mention. We talked about this offline. Mm-hmm. Somebody gave them $65 million. And if they're listening to this, they know who they are. And over a two or three year period of time, they burned through all that money and they shut down the company. That's crazy, right? $65 million. We, we talk about this. What could you do with your business if you had 65 million bucks? I don't even know. <laughs> first of all, I'd give back 63 million yeah, of it. First of all, yeah. And just I don't want that 65. I, I don't need it. <laughs> I'll take two and I'll grow like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. If, if I definitely have a few million that I can get. But I feel like it needs to come at the right time also. Like, oh, for sure. And this is, I think, one of the biggest mistakes that startups do. They, 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 you know, they want, they want to raise funds. They want to, you know, all of this hype with investors and VCs. And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. we talk kind of often about that in the show, which is great for, for, for VCs, right? Because, like, everybody wants to come to them. So everybody, like, sitting in shares of a company. Right. No, thank you. That's, no, that's, thank you. <laughs> that's not for me. No, thank you. Um, but, yeah, definitely, if, if it comes at, at the right point where you just need, like, some cash to accelerate to, growth, to accelerate growth like, that, sure. that can be super great, right? Could not agree with you more. But not 65 million. That's, that's right. still a lot of money, right? Right. But the point is, if you have $1.6 billion in cash yeah, lying around and you have no better use for it than just to buy another e-commerce company that sells just slightly different stuff. That's crazy, right? And that only has, I get it, $70 million revenue. Yeah, that's great. But what do you think the revenue is that YouTube started generating for Google soon after they paid another billion dollars for it back when they purchased it? And what do you think the revenue generation is off of excuse me, off of Instagram. Oh, it's strange. After they were purchased for a billion dollars when their revenue was zero when they got bought. Mm-hmm. And even a business like WhatsApp, which, what did Facebook pay for it? Do you remember the number? I don't. What do you think? Pick a number. Isn't it something like 15 billion? Close enough for me. $19 billion. 19. A company that had 50 people in it at the time, approximately. Only 50 people? I believe so. We can look it up later, but Whoa. I believe so. And... Uh, and I know they never raised funds. They always like did everything themselves. Yeah, and I don't think they had a ton big business model. But again, the reason, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why Facebook bought them was because what was happening at the time, so much traffic was going through messenger apps. Mm-hmm. And we'll have a conversation about this for our next show is what can you do with a messenger app if you have billions of users on it? How can you generate revenue? Can you build e-commerce? Is that an innovative way to do stuff? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a good way to end this conversation today. Mm-hmm. Just talking about what we're going to do on the next episode. Hopefully have a great conversation about conversational or chat-based mm-hmm. e-commerce. At least it's a new idea. Mm-hmm. But if you have $1.6 billion, why not buy 30 different companies that are doing innovative things in the e-commerce space? And if one of them blows up, you'll get your billion dollars back. Definitely, because I don't see how they can get their $1.6 billion back with this kind of strategy. They can over 23 years. Well, maybe (laughs) 23 years. Yeah, definitely. And if it grows a bit, maybe they can get it faster, right? 15 years, but still. But still, I feel like if they just do like what Amazon do with with AWS, they just like take what they know. And they try just to expand to something new and right. it's maybe like less risky than trying right. to, 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 to innovate. 
But if also like they could try to find a new way to serve better their sellers and their users, because I think like right now the only way that people go there it's just because it feels good for them to, to be there. Absolutely. But it's not a very fundamental reason why you would go to Etsy. There's not like much tech better than Shopify or Amazon or, or, or us, you know? No. They, they don't have a better tech, they don't have a better offer, they don't have better traffic. No. So like from a really, really, really like, um, like yeah, if, if you just focus on, on, on the fact, there's not a lot of reason why you would go there. Just because it feels good and it's, it's the place where everybody go, but this can go away, right? Yeah, and I'm just going to say, yeah. the last thing I'm going to say is this. If you pay $1.6 billion in cash for somebody and you're sitting in that meeting and someone, everybody greenlights that thing, mm-hmm. somebody should either quit or they should make a recommendation like, hey, can we take, th- if you're just going to throw a billion dollars away, <laughs> can you give me $300 million and I'll run Etsy Ventures for you and we'll find the best companies yeah. in the world to invest in, in, in our vertical and outside of our vertical. And then that billion dollars somehow, just based on normal VC style returns or private equity style returns, we'll get that billion dollars back and more. Yeah. Anyway, enough said. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael, for this episode. Thank you, Martin. As <laughs> that, always. That was great. As always. E-commerce. <laughs> definitely. Undercover. Yeah, definitely. See you soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.